Welcome to episode two of the Project One podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking to the head coach of Team Anaconda Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on the New South Wales Central Coast, Chris Bowles. He also happens to be my coach and I've been training with him for, geez, going back six, six years now, I think. But um, it's a pleasure to talk to him. Chris, mate, uh, it's, it's a bit of a strange time at the moment. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. It's, uh, it's been probably one of the tougher weeks we've had. Um, it's been a tough couple of years for the club. So, um, yeah, it's been a pretty rough week for the whole industry. You know, I'm not going to pretend I'm on my own with um, some issues. But I guess um, the isolation thing as well, you know, everyone's... Um, getting all this bad news and stuff and then you sort of got to sit in your house and just swallow it so it's it's, it's a tough time yeah it is and like uh, as, as you said the industry all gyms and especially it's well it's all gyms now but uh, jiu-jitsu obviously it's a very close close contact sport so when half of the half of the edict going around is that you need to stay 1.5 meters away from each other kind of makes what we do impossible yeah, exactly, and that's. I, I think that's one of the strengths. You know, that's why there's such a bond between the team. That it is such an intimate style. Um, you're in each other's personal space all the time. So, um, unfortunately, the its strength has become its weakness here. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting past this and, and getting back into it. Yeah, absolutely. And look. There's bumps and everything, but uh, as long as you come out stronger on the other end, that's all you can really do. Um, let's get into let's get into a bit of the well history of yourself first. And like the whole idea of this podcast is that everyone's got a story to tell. So where yours happens to go tonight doesn't have to just stick with jujitsu. It can go wherever wherever you please, wherever it wants to, and um, we'll just see how that flows. But We'll start with martial arts. So you're you pretty much have been in martial arts as as a lot. Well, obviously as long as I've known you, but pretty much your whole life. But it didn't start with jujitsu. Um, how did you first come into martial arts, and then how did you then find jujitsu? Yeah, well, probably um, I was actually a bit of a late bloomer with martial arts. Like being a Generation Xer. Um, going through the Karate Kid phase. And uh, I remember, you know, Van Damme was a big thing back in the day, um, you know, getting a kickboxing bag in the shed and hitting that as a you know, early teenager and stuff. Um, but didn't really formally hit a proper martial art till 1998, actually. So I was 24. Um, I moved up to Gladstone in Queensland for work. And... Um, one of the guys I was working with did Muay Thai. We went and had a look at one of their gradings and they had a, a club that was uh, combined where they did Muay Thai and Taekwondo. So they had a grading day and we sort of took, um, went and had a look at both of those and did a bit of um, casual Muay Thai up there for not very long. It was only there for six months. That was probably my first introduction to a formal martial arts class. Um, and then I moved back to uh, New South Wales. I actually met my wife at my sister's wedding. Um, so I flew back to the Hunter Valley for my sister's wedding and, and some friends introduced um, me to my, my wife. Um, 
So yeah, got to know her through correspondence for a while and then ended up moving back to New South Wales and um, getting a job back in the Hunter Valley. And um, uh, it sort of all started from there. I, I was doing all sorts of jobs. I, at the time I was a fitter and machinist. So I was working as a tradesman up in Queensland and just moved back to New South Wales. Um, and I took a job as a courier and then got a job as a fitter machinist. Um, so we was back in New South Wales doing that and um, I moved in with Kerry. And uh, at the time there were some issues with her ex. And yeah, it, um, I sort of had a good think about what was happening and come to the realization that I couldn't protect myself, let alone anyone else that I cared about. So um, in that little period, um, I actually got a job with Osgrid as a, a adult apprentice linesman. So climbing poles and working on um, you know, overhead mains. Um, and then went to TAFE at that time with a guy who run a Taekwondo club. So I was talking to him about the situation. He sort of said, you know, you know, come along and do a class and learn some self-defense. So started there in 2002. Um, so, yeah, that was, I guess, the first martial arts class where I was regularly, you know, turning up. Um, and how long did you, how, did, how long did you train in Taekwondo for? So started in 2002, um, I got to about, I think it was 2006. So four years in, I just got my second Dan black belt. Um, so it took me four years to get to second Dan, which is pretty quick really. Um, and then I was at work, uh, had an accident where I come off the back of a fairly tall um, truck, cable truck, had a access ladder. Um, come off the back of that and pretty badly broke my ankle. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a, a tough time. It's probably really bad rehab. It didn't come good. Um, so I had to go to work and uh, ask if there was any jobs in the office. I just couldn't climb poles and, and walk around on uneven ground all day anymore. And um, so that sort of started my career on a technical side, moved into the office um, 2007 at Osgrid as an electrical engineer. So for, for the four years before that, while I was uh, an adult apprentice, I'd actually gone to TAFE at night for four years as well and just as a backup plan or, you know, um, plan B, I guess, you know. And, yeah, I, I'm glad I did that because I definitely needed it, you know, four years later. Um, so obviously that was, that brought the Taekwondo and stuff to a bit of a head as well. Um, how long was the, how long was the, re well, you said the rehab never actually took, how, um, how long before you were back to basically a, a physically capable human being, but even without training, like just being able to be functional day to day stuff. So it took probably six months before I could get around with any sort of um, well like mobility um, I still had a lot of pain though so uh, it took six months to get because I was on workers comp as well it just complicated everything I had to go through that process and um, 
just went round and round in circles with physios and doctors and it was really frustrating. Um, ended up after six months, it was still no good and I, I talked him into, you know, going to a specialist. Um, so we went and saw uh, one of the guys at um, North Sydney um, Sports sports Medicine. Um, so he was, he'd done Brett Lee, a few other high-profile rugby league um, players, ankle surgeries and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, they did an arthroscopy and did a clean-out. Um, so after that, at least I could get around and I had no pain. It wouldn't swell up at the end of the day. And So, you know, that, that was 12 months between the injury and actually being able to start rehab with no pain, um, you know, start walking around the block, whatnot. Uh, mm -hmm. So this was 12 months. Yeah, it was interesting, though, because I was so kind of motivated before that, like um, when I did the ankle, I was like, I just want to get back into martial arts. I wanted to compete. I had all these goals that I wanted to do. So I actually printed out the world record for 800 metres. And I was like, I'm going to train as if I want to break this record. So... Yeah, just started walking and I was, you know, walking around the block. I was walking around the block on the gutter, like a tightrope, sort of trying to build up strength around the ankle and started to walk a bit, jog a bit and then um, yeah, trained probably six months and then I did the 20-kilometre Tough Mudder, uh, which is an obstacle course. It was pretty tough. And, um, yeah, probably it was a good six months after that again till I got back to martial arts, so... So, yeah, so really how long is that? That's took me out of commission for probably 18 months. Yeah, right. So before you could do anything and then you went back into Taekwondo at that stage? Yeah, that's right. So I just went, went back and started training and, you know, um, helping out the kids and, and um, just doing whatever I could do just to keep involved. Um, so, yeah, because I had that competitive sort of drive like I wanted to compete I wanted to get better and um, I just didn't want to limp along like I wanted to excel at, at something so um, that's when I sort of got into um, one of the master instructors looked at um, getting into competition which there was a competition called NAS or National All Styles so it's a um, it's a competition format where it's one set of rules, like sort of like kickboxing, um, you know, with some protective gear on, um, and you know it's open to all styles, so karate, kung fu, taekwondo, sort of anyone could get in and have a go um, based on time and training. Right. So yeah, the master instructor had sort of let us know that that was available, and some of their students and the other the clubs around were were going to start having a go at that. So. That was a funny story. Went down for the first competition. We, I just entered it. Just, I didn't know it, the rules or anything. Um, so I entered black belt, whatever it was, um, whatever level. Um, and what they did was they had, I think it was 16 in our division. And there was a red and a blue side of the mat. So what they did was they, they called um, the people out and they said, okay, they called your name and then they said red, you know, the next name was blue and the next one is red. So I watched a couple of people sort of go either side and I thought, oh, okay, what's happening here is 
the first name and the second name are against each other, the third name and the fourth name. And um, so I heard my name and then this other guy's name and um, I can't even remember the guy's name. Um, but when I heard his name, I thought, oh, that's, that sounds familiar. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> went out there and he head kicked me in about the first three seconds, um, <laughs> fracked my cheekbone. And um, so that, that was the introduction to the, the kickboxing sparring competition, the National All-Styles. And then uh, actually went home and Googled him and found out that he was the, the World All-Styles Black Belt <laughs> champion two, year, two or three years before that, two years in a row. And um, so, yeah, that was the first ever competition <laughs> at, uh, at this kind of All-Styles level and you're taking on yeah. like the champ first up without knowing who it yeah. is, only to find out yeah. later that he's pretty handy. Yeah. And at that stage, uh, trying to think what year that was, that would probably would have been about 2008. Um, 2008. So I would have been oof, 34. Yes, I, I was 34 years old at that stage. These guys were 20 years old, fast, you know, athletic, been training since L5. Um, so that, that was a, that was a, because I just entered, I didn't even know what the events were. We just entered a couple of events. And uh, so that was point sparring. So there was a couple of different sparring events. One was point sparring and one was continuous sparring. So point sparring, like you could, you know, the first Karate Kid movie, where it's like if someone gets a strike, it's like stopped and they go, point Daniel LaRusso. You know, that sort of, that was the style. And because these guys were so fast and young, you know, they were just too fast. Um and the other style was what they call continuous sparring. So it was more like just ordinary kickboxing. You just had a round of five minutes or whatever it was where you just continually punched and kicked the crap out of each other. And then there was three judges that basically decided the winner. Um, so it was more suited to me. I think I was about 104 kilos at that stage. Um, so that, that more suited my style of being a bigger guy, just pushing people around. Um, so after the first competition, I lost my first match in continuous sparring as well, but I've had that match with a broken fractured cheekbone from the first fight I had. So yeah, so I went home and it was like, well, I could either um, strike that off of tried that, <laughs> never do that again. Or I was like, or I could train like they do and do what they do and let's that's a challenge let's try and compete with those guys they're just normal people like so that gave me some sort of inspiration to you know train at a, at a good high level um so yeah for the next two years i just i just stuck to the continuous sparring event just tried to specialize in that and um it took me probably i don't know 18 months and i actually won a won one of the divisions so over 12 months of losing um, and then ended up winning one of the divisions. They have four rounds a year. So there's four rounds and then they have a state championships and then a national championships. So I won one of the rounds um, for, the, for the year and I uh, got pretty pumped about that. And then um, the following year went back and I, I won the first round and then I won the second round and then I lost the final of the third round. I won the fourth round and then won the state title and then went to the Nationals and actually drew the guy I beat in New South Wales 
in the state final and he just got me in the first round of the nationals, which is, we were both dirty about because we were like, why are two people from New South Wales? We've flown to Melbourne to compete against each other, that we compete against each other in the New South Wales series all the time. Um, but anyway, he just got me on a rest decision. And so, um, yeah, finished the year as the, the New South Wales Open Black Belt champion 2010. Uh, went back to the 2011 as the first first round of 2011 and got a pretty nasty kick through my knee. Um, so I missed the next two rounds. It took I was training. I just took me about four months to really recover from that. So 2011, still competing in and well all styles obviously with the training background being in Taekwondo. How do you, yep. it was about that, would have been about that stage you started in jiu-jitsu? Because I, I think you would I remember saying something, you've been in it for about 10 years now? That's right. So 2010, actually, while I was still competing in that, um, one of my friends who, who was talking about jiu-jitsu um, at work, one of the guys I worked with, who'd gone through the Taekwondo system with me at the same school, got his black belt and sort of just lost interest. He um, started talking to me about this Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which we'd obviously seen UFC and we knew about. Um, so he started talking about it and, and got me all motivated and then um, sort of went quiet on it, went cold on it. So, uh, yeah, June 2010, I uh, actually looked into it and I thought Jamie Ballard, because I was living at Musselbrook in the Hunter Valley. Um, and I rung Jamie Ballard at Beresfield, which was an hour drive either way to see if I could come down and do some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with him. And I left a message on his mobile and it was two or three days later, he hadn't got back to me. And uh, I got talking to the guy at work again, my friend, and he said, oh, I think there's a club at Singleton, which is only sort of 35, 40 minutes away. Um, so I, I you know, Googled those guys and um, saw that it was a, uh, the Machado, Will Machado School, um, Hunter Valley BJJ and MMA under Sean Kirkwood, who was, at the time, he was a second degree black belt under John Will. Uh, so yeah, this is 2010. Um, gave Sean a call and turned up a couple of nights later for my first class, so. Um, so there wasn't a lot of jiu-jitsu in Australia at all at that stage, was there? Like it was still pretty early days of jiu-jitsu in Australia. Yeah, I just, I just don't remember sort of hearing about it really um i know there was obviously clubs around but um the, the club at singleton was only uh um well it was it was a, a hall that was hired out like a church hall um but singleton at the time was in a bit of a mining boom so um being a mining town you had a lot of people coming from other states and whatever, they'd come in and have a you know, six month contract building a conveyor or a hall road or something. And so you'd, you'd get a fair steady stream of blue belts from other places, just turn up and train for three or six months and then you wouldn't see them again. But um, you'd be regularly 30 people on the mat in a, in a small church hall. And um, it was just, it was pretty much kill or be killed at that club. It was pretty, Pretty hard training. Uh, we did MMA on the Monday night and, and Gi Jiu-Jitsu on the Thursday night. And uh, I did my first MMA class and just got smashed and choked and bashed and you probably actually left there, left there that night and um, 
it was kind of like I had this realization that that's actually what I was after. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm, it's interesting cause you would have walked into an MMA class thinking, look, I know how to fight. Yeah, exactly. You know, having all that background in striking and Taekwondo and being a, what a state and state champion and was it national yeah. champion as well or, but no, that, that was just before the state titles that was, yeah. so so but, but I'd won, I'd won, made four finals and won three yeah. of the four finals. So you got, that. So yeah. Go on, I was going okay. I can fight. And then all of a sudden you go into an MMA class and start getting kind of cleaned up and seeing that, you know, yeah. martial arts game has got a lot more to it yet. The interesting thing was, though, was that I just absolutely loved it from the first first class. And as I said, it felt like to me like I'd actually found what I should be doing. Like I, I thought I was doing what I what I was looking for. But it wasn't until I had that first class there that I realised that what I was doing actually wasn't what I was searching for. And, and that was it. Um, so... Um, I did a few classes and, and I guess towards the end of that year um, because of the competition and stuff with the, the Taekwondo sort of finished up. Um, like I, I barely missed a class in what, the four years or whatever I was there um, after probably two months. The first two months I was, because it was on the same night as Taekwondo as well, um, I was... I'd spend one week at jiu-jitsu both, doing both nights and then I'd go back to Taekwondo. And um, It was interesting. When I started doing jiu-jitsu and the guys at Taekwondo um, found out about that, they then started saying to me, oh, we think you should sit in your third day in grading and, and all this stuff started happening for me, you know. Um, and I said, okay, yeah. And they, they said, oh, we're going to get you to do your third Dan grading at the end of the year. Um, you know, for that, you need to be training here all the time. And, and I, what I found was I'd go to jiu-jitsu and MMA and just be seriously challenged every night and be learning so much. It was like, I always describe it. It's like, you know, if someone walks into your house and shows you a secret door along your hallway and, and opens it up and shows you all this stuff that um, like something that you absolutely love, like you never knew was there. It was so close. And someone just opens the door and shows you that. And you're just like, I can't believe this has been here. I, how have I not seen this? How have I not been exposed to this so far? You know, I haven't, how have I not found this yet? Um, and I felt a little bit cheated actually. Like if I'd done, um, you know, almost a decade of Taekwondo and there were some things, chokes and different things that I thought, why wouldn't someone have taught me this if, if we were learning self-defense and how to fight? Why haven't I seen this stuff before? Yeah, um, it's funny because it was a, it was like watching those early days of UFC, like I remember thinking the exact same thing, like growing up with, as you said, all the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and, you know, thinking that kicking and punching was the ultimate way to defend yourself and then all of a sudden you see this 80 kilogram guy just taking out monsters you know yeah in hoist gracie and it, just, it changed my whole changed my whole world in how you fight and just became a, a brand new thing and it's 
it's just the really the evolution of fighting it's just it's just shown a whole new aspect to it which you never really knew was there yeah and i think because the the rules didn't allow the reality to take place mm. so you your sparring rules, you know, like boxing or any of these sort of non-contact martial arts or partially contact, you know, the rule, what the rules are is when you're at striking distance and whenever there's any sort of clinch, you stop and you break that up. Mm -hmm. So if you watch, you know, most boxing matches, um, you know, it's punch, punch, clinch. And then, then you, you're separated again so you can punch again. So, um, you know, the way a fight goes down, that's just what happens. Punch, punch, clinch. Exactly right. And but there's no one to pull you apart at that point. It's just you got to work from there into do, doing something else. So right. you've either got to clinch and cover and back up and strike again, or or keep clinching and, and grapple. So um, it almost, yeah, I got to the end. Got to the end good, of it almost seems obvious when you really think about it because that's literally whenever you see anyone, there's always a wrestle going on. You're never standing at a distance toe-to-toe, you know, letting someone hit you. As you said, even the, the highest professional boxers in the world, they punch, punch, clinch, and then they have to be separated again. If there was no one to separate them, they'd just I guess be you, dirty boxing. You don't know what you don't know is a bit of a weird phrase. Um, if if you haven't seen it and you haven't been exposed to it and you don't know it exists, then, you know, um, you can't, do, you can't do it. You can't, yeah. I find that with jitsu and teaching brand new people. Um, you know, you just, sometimes you forget that people didn't come out of the womb knowing how to bridge and roll or knowing how to do an elbow escape from mount or, you know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You train so long, you just take for granted that, People yeah. know the basic. Um, it's hard to, you're trying to remember back to a time when you didn't know that. You know, we, we didn't know. You pick up, you're having a bit of a wrestle with someone or even like I've done it with mates and just, and you go, no, no, hold on. That's not what you yeah. do when I do this. Like, cause yeah, I'll back up. Yeah, that's right. No, if, cause if you do that, I'm just going to grab your arm and, you know, rip it off or take your neck and, and choke it. But so it just seems like the most obvious, almost muscle memory stuff that comes to you from the absolute basics. But as you said, if you've never been exposed to it, you, yeah. you just don't know what you're doing. Like, and you kind of find yourself in a world of, that's chaos to you. You just don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, th th there's a bit of frustration with, you know, um, the traditional martial art I was studying. And when I, when I was exposed to these, these other skills, like I'd go back to my training and they'd sort of say, Oh, you know, You've been training over there. What have you learnt? And you might say, I remember saying, oh, we did a cross-collar choke, you know, like an X choke. So you grab the collar, you grab the other collar, and then you, you squeeze around the neck. And um, I remember one comment from one of the guys was like, oh, I just elbow you in the face. Like that was from closed guard. You know, you're on your back. Mm. Cross-collar choke from your closed guard. And uh, they said, oh, I just elbow you in the face. And I was like, yeah, I've only been there a couple of weeks. I don't think I'm <laughs> practicing cross-collar chokes under raining elbows yet, mate. I'm sure that'll, that'll come up. But um, in the same instance, we don't do takedowns. So if we were sparring, 
and you threw a kick and I caught your kick, I'm not allowed to lift you up and throw you on the ground. So um, it was a bit frustrating trying to, you know, trying to help them. I was sort of saying like, hey, there's this stuff that I'm learning. It's pretty amazing. And I think mm-hmm. I care for you guys. I think you guys should check some of this stuff out. And, and um, I kind of got brushed off. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because the evolution of um of mixed martial arts has really shown like obviously the UFC is such big business now and it's obviously all these styles put together and it's it's really just changed all those traditional ones on their own. Even jujitsu mm. to an extent isn't good enough on its own. Like it's yeah. I it's still very practical, but like as far as the evolution of the fight game it's all come together and all the singularity doesn't, doesn't work on its own anymore. You need to have a bit of everything. And if you brush it off, you're really going to find yourself in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So training at sort of both of them for that, that those few months and um, ended up sitting my third degree um, black belt and uh, did that really easily. Like it was, um, cause, cause I'd, trained at such a high intensity and like I I was training and I was at the state champion level because I trained at that level like a local grading was just nothing you know it was it was so easy it wasn't funny at that stage like sparring people for long periods of time and multiple opponents and stuff like they just it was it was so easy and then I, what I thought was um like there's only so much time, you know, time's crucial. And what I want to be doing is spending my time doing this other thing that I've just found this love for. And um, so, yeah, I took the third Dan, brand new third Dan black belt off, threw it in the cupboard where it still sits and <laughs> pulled my one strike white belt um, belt out and then did that. So that's got to be all I did. That's got to be a bit of a, um, that's got to be a humbling experience, like going from absolute top of the tree in one arm to coming into another one and just being, you know, so just inexperienced that you're legitimately starting again. That's got to be very humbling. Yeah. I really found it enjoyable. I guess it's like, I found this other thing that was really closely related to what I love, but something I enjoyed more and I was at the start again. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like a rebirth. Exactly. I I can do it all again, but with something that I'm absolutely loving and learning. There's so much more more to learn. um, It seemed like there was just never ending because at that stage, you know, I'd go to a class and we do some moves, you know, some techniques and then, I'd come back to the next class and there'd be more techniques. And and at that stage, it just seemed like every night we were learning something new and new and new. And your head was just spinning. And uh, probably six months in, um, I talked to another couple of guys at work um, to come and train with us. And we were training together, driving to Singleton together and training there. And then we bought 16 square metres of mats and set up the change rooms at work. So we were spending our lunch break rolling in the change rooms, buying every John Will book we could find, technique book and, you know, um, drilling and practicing stuff. You know, that, that was the, sort of the white belt days. Um, 
yeah, we were training like five days a week at work, twice a week um, at the class. Yeah, right. So, okay, so you spent a bit of time on your white and then next blue, next, sorry, next blue, next belt in the jiu-jitsu um, hierarchy is the is blue belt. That's that's a big deal for anyone at that stage. And I know you've gone well past that now, but um, how did it feel to get that kind of first uh, coloured belt promotion? Well, I, I always, my attitude is, say, as a white belt, my job isn't to become a blue belt, it's, become, it's to become a good white belt. What, what does a good white belt look like? And if I'm that, then a blue belt isn't heavy at all. You know what I mean? Um, so I was a white belt for maybe two years, maybe. Um, I think I was a three-stripe white belt. And the, all the guys in the club said, hey, let's, um, let's go to Melbourne. We're going to go down to the gathering, which is the Machado gathering, which is um, every September down in Melbourne. Competition, all day Saturday. Um, seminars with Hegan Machado comes out from America all day Sunday. Um, so the guys were like, "Oh, we're going to have a trip. We're all going to stay at you know um, motel together and and whatnot." They're all going down. There's about a dozen of them. Um, so I was kind of like, "Oh, my sister lives in Melbourne. I'll be to stay with her. That sounds good." Uh, the year before, I'd gone to Melbourne um, for the nationals in national all styles. So I was like, oh, I went to Melbourne last year. I'll just, just do the same thing again this year. Go down to the gathering, give that give that a crack as a third stripe white belt. And uh, and and one of the boys said, oh, we got it. There's a competition actually this weekend in Sydney. Um, how about we go in that and we'll get a bit of practice before we go to Melbourne. So that was that was actually my first comp as a third stripe white belt. The, the I think it was a Champions Cup or something in Sydney at Ride. So I just went in like weight division gi and no gi, and um, Ended up winning both those divisions. So first comp, double gold. Uh, went down to Melbourne about two months later. Um, and that was just crazy hard, you know. Um, I made the final, lost to a Kimura. Pretty, pretty upset about it at the time. But um, yeah, made the final in Melbourne at the, at the gathering for the first year. Uh, got back to training. It was probably about six months later. Maybe early March, um, got my blue belt. And it seems funny, at that time I thought, because I was training five days a week at work, I was competing, like hardly anyone else in the club was doing competitions and stuff. Um, and not a lot of them were rolling. Like at the end of class, um, the class kind of finished and people, we had mats, jigsaw mats we had to pack up. So there'd only be four or six people having a quick roll before people were packing, pulling mats out from underneath them to pack up and lock the place up. Um, so we were rolling at work and stuff. So like, I felt like I was one of the better guys um, like in the club training and, and rolling and stuff. So um, blue belt didn't seem like a big jump from there. I kind of felt like I was at the level of the other blue belt. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a big jump. I didn't think at that stage, I think it, would have been different if I was like a lot of the other guys that just turn up to training, you know, do some techniques, go home. So basically it was feeling like the right time to get that promotion. So as you said, you felt like you could carry it fairly comfortably. 
Yeah, that's that's cool. All right. Well, let's get into. I want to want to talk about um, teaching. Like, at what point? Because you you obviously have a school now. Like, have a, a jujitsu school now. What at what point did you say? I, I want to teach this stuff. Yeah. So after I came back from the ankle injury to Taekwondo, I'm not sure how long I was there for back at training, but the opportunity came up to open a class in another small town near us, like a satellite school. So I actually went up to a town called Scone and started teaching Taekwondo classes up there twice a week, just started a new main club, um, did some advertising, some letterbox drops and started teaching a fairly small class up there. You'd probably get six a night or something. So that was like my first, obviously I've been teaching assistant coach and stuff like that at, um, at my own club, but that was my first leading a class, like running my own class, running my own program. And that was Taekwondo, did you say? Yeah, that's right. So I had a little bit of practice at presenting a skill set that I wanted to get across to someone and, and how people, how, what's the best way to get that information across, you know, presentation wise and preparation, class planning. So I had a little bit of experience at that. Um, I think it was 2013, we moved to the central coast. So I've got a job at Hornsby with Osgrid. We moved to the central coast here. Uh, I was a blue belt. I started driving to Hornsby to work and then driving back to Newcastle to train at Warners Bay, still under Sean um, Kirkwood. And that got really hard, like three months of doing that. It was just killing me um, as much as I wanted to keep training with the same guys. Um, my son Mitchell, who was maybe a second or third stripe white belt at the time, he'd been training with me at Singleton. Uh, I think he was about 16. We just decided to buy some mats hire a council hall a couple of nights a week and, and just have a role here locally. So that was uh, at Warnervale Athletic Field. So that was uh, December 2013. So that's where the, our club here first started, first started teaching jiu-jitsu. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I came, I came out of Sydney myself and I was married in 2012 and lived in Sydney for a year after I was married in 2013. I came up and was just looking for a new jiu-jitsu club and i was like oh here we go he's one expecting that you guys might have been around for a while and realistically you probably hadn't been off had probably only just got started within the last yeah. year or so two or three months or whatever it was or maybe a bit longer I'm not. somewhere around there yeah so um i was still trying to get back to newcastle and train when i could but running the club two nights a week here um we pretty quickly got, you know, a good core, you know, six or eight a night, roughly. Um, after probably six months, you know, we were getting six, six or eight people a night. Um, so I actually started, uh, I met Elvis Sinisich um, from SPMA Martial Arts um, at a competition down in Sydney. I uh, had a chat with him because uh, Jamie Ballard, one of my, who I'd actually started training with at Hunter Valley Martial Arts and he'd been around the Newcastle scene a little bit. I'd got to know him over the years. Um, 
he actually became a, an affiliate with Elvis. And so that sort of um, bit of a light bulb went off. It was like, oh, I might have a chat to Elvis and see what that's all about. Um, so I had a chat with him at one of the competitions and uh, ended up just uh, at my lunch breaks at work in Hornsby. I'd duck over to Concord and uh, do a morning class and then have a shower and come back to work and then make up that time after work and then do that on the days where I wasn't running the club at Bournevale. Uh, so met some of the guys at um, Elvis's gym there, Tony Pycroft and a few other guys. Um, yeah, so that was sort of 2014. Mm. It's a bit of a blur. It's been it's a bit of a whirlwind between some of the gyms gone from the hall into, you know, a squash court into a shared MMA gym into our own. I think that big, that first big step up into North Wyong where we had just our own facility and it was an excellent facility was, was big for the club. Um, and then, <laughs> to finally move to an, an even bigger one now just just shown you know how much the club has grown over the years um, that's got to that's got to be you know a bit of a proud moment to see how much a club has actually grown like because you've had people come and go um which right. is always sad but i mean to see the club grow from a hall in Warnervale near a sports field you know to where it is now must be must be a pretty proud moment for yourself. Yeah, it's um, like it's been hard work, and I, I've said this recently. Um, like, I want to be successful. I want to have you know a successful club and a, and a great team so badly that um, you can get you can lose track of how much we've grown and, and how far we've come already. Um, uh, Recently, a couple of weeks ago, we'd, we'd broken attendance records uh, two weeks in a row. Um, and I remember, I remember like tracking attendance and 60 visits a week was, you know, I was pretty pumped about that. Um, you know, and we more than, like, we were two and a half times that, you know, going back to two or three weeks ago. And so, yeah, when you think about where we've come from, yeah, it's definitely been a Yeah, I think it's I think it's healthy to like always want that next step to, you know, keep building and keep growing, but it's like it is important to realize where you've come from as well because it's like it's been a, it's been an achievement in itself just how much the club's grown already. Like and from Yeah, it has to be has to be um sustainable too, like I've you know, we're not Funded by a multinational, you know, um, organisation, we're self-funded, um, so it's it had, it's had to be sustainable growth. You know, we've had to grow our club um, to be able to pay the bills and stuff to move into the next next size place, and then build that club up to be able to to move to the next one. You know, and that's that sustainable growth um, has sort of allowed us to move to where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. So you said where the team Anaconda is now an affiliate affiliate of um, Elvis Sinisek and uh, which is King's Academy. Um, talk about like I know, I know lineage is an important part 
of you know what you do and and you know there's a lot of a lot of places out there that kind of pop up that don't have a legitimate lineage i know that's important to you can you give us a bit of a a, a bit a bit of a bit on the history of where team anacondas come from and why that's important to you yeah so as i said i started um you know, sometimes it's through sheer luck you just get your luck into a, a certain club um so i started with sean kirkwood who was as i said a black belt under john will and i was with sean for probably four years um and in that time we had regular visits from john will um so he would come up a couple of times a year and you know, do his three-hour seminar and john probably had you know possibly the biggest influence in my martial arts journey so far like the my attitude about training my teaching style um you know, the syllabus and everything comes from him um i've always enjoyed that australian flavor of um of our organization um so not being able to get to newcastle to train with sean was frustrating and you know, it was disappointing that um we couldn't keep training with those guys but staying staying under john will and being with machado and staying with the machado club was or organization association was something that I really wanted to do i never ever thought of leaving the machado group and, and going anywhere else um over the years i've spent a lot of time training with hegan i've gone to melbourne almost 10 years in a row um to train with him every year i've trained with john jacques and i've trained with carlos uh, machado who is elvis's coach so um so now we're under elvis so he, he's my coach and then he's directly under carlos machado now so the five machado brothers um cousins to the gracies um Brazilian brothers that moved to the US and started their uh, businesses up there. So, um, you know, their style, their attitude, their relaxed nature, the family um, attitude, um, you know, has, has gone down through John, down to all the guys below him, Elvis, Sean, Anthony Lang, all these guys in New South Wales. And, and then that's filtered through to me, and that's why I wanted to. That's why I wanted to set up my own club. I didn't want to go and join the local jiu-jitsu club that was here, not because I didn't like those guys or didn't want to do what they were doing, but I wanted to do it our way, the way we were training, and the the feeling on our mat. Um, you know, I wanted to keep that. So even though it was hard, and that initially that stunted my own growth because it would have been easy for me to just take the 45 minute drive to Erina and train under a black belt. And that would have been okay for me, but I wouldn't have been happy. Um, by trying to start your own club from scratch, you know, the, the consistent um, students coming through are all white belts. They know nothing. Um, you're not getting that advanced technical knowledge and, and, technical development um, when you're training with high level color belts and stuff in the class. 
and uh, you know many people would come into the hall at Warner Vale and, and see that I was a blue belt and not long after that I was a purple belt and they'd see a, cl- a class of 10, 10 white belts under a purple belt and then if they were a blue belt or a purple they'd just turn around and walk back out again because they just assumed you know we were we didn't know a lot so the level wasn't very high so they'd go back to training where, where they were and um, so that happened a lot, you know, coloured belts contacting me and then coming in and seeing it was pretty much all white belts and then going again. So, it's, yeah, it's been a struggle to get that um, acceptance from the local community because I'm not a black belt. On that note, like, you'd, you'd almost need to be more proud because you're up, you're brown now, four stripes, that, that final step before finally grading to black but that's got to be a like as you said like every karate school every taekwondo school they've got black belts at the top and some of them have got that black belt in a very quick amount of time um but coming into jujitsu where there's there's no shortcuts there's no and you know starting a club like that to actually build something when you don't have that symbol, like that black belt symbol around your waist straight away would make it a struggle because people come in and not knowing anything about jujitsu, they just, uh, they just look up at the coach and go, Oh, well, there's no, there's no black belt. Why am I going to learn? Why am I going to learn here? But Hmm. so what an amazing, it's, it's been a journey to get this far and it's obviously there's still more of it to come. Hmm. I think too that you know jiu-jitsu's got that um, the realism. So you know you could wander around the front of a class at a tradition traditional martial arts club, and you haven't assumed a level of knowledge. Like you might see that oh there's that black belt and you know he's been here for twenty years and he obviously does this this and this. No one's ever seen it, but I mean you know he's obviously shit hot. Um, yeah, where every single class, every single person on the mat has to show they're up to it, they're up to their level, they have to prove what not prove, but I mean, you have to defend the belt that you're wearing with the level that you've got. And mm. especially as I've aged, like I'm you know 45 now, um. The constant, and we're open four nights a week. So the, the constant stream of athletic young guys that want to come in and say, "What's this jujitsu thing?" and my technique has to show them it's effective. If it's not effective, then they're not going to do it. Um, so yeah, that you know, you're 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 going to battle every night. Um, it's it's tough. You know, I work full time as well. So four nights a week, finish work, go to the mat and slug it out with fresh people every night when I'm there every night, you know, I'll, I'll be there on a Monday night and there might be however many people that want to get their role on that they're after you. Yeah. And realistically, it's your job to show them what you know. And then- you turn up, Tuesday, turn up Tuesday night and all those guys aren't there, but there's another fresh set of guys. So they're expecting you to, to, to put it on again. And then Wednesday night's the same and Thursday night's the same. So, you know, it's, it's brutal. Um, it's a, it's a tough art. It's, and it's one of those, it's that art that's a hundred percent. Like you don't, you know, you don't have to go 
easy, so to speak, when you're rolling. It's not like, you know, you're not going to, if you go into a a striking gym of some sort, you're not going to be punching each other in the head full on every time in jujitsu. You just need to know the control to, Mm. you know, so you don't snap an arm or something, because obviously you're not going to do that. But I have that control too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they they just, they're in a fight. They've got the fight, flight, you know, sort of thing happening. It's crazy. So, you know, controlling that person and um, showing them the effectiveness of jujitsu every night. But I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, uh, that's what we do it for. That's right. You wouldn't be doing it for four nights a week for however, like, you know, for 10 years, yeah. you didn't love it. I mean, it's just, obviously, it's, just, it's, it's tough. It's a tough it's hard. It's a, it's a, I mean, you know what? Sometimes the things that are hardest, they're usually the most rewarding because you've oh, but that, something out of it. It's not, if it was easy, you'd just be, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. With the, um, like the team Anaconda, like where we come from, um, to have a quick run through that if you want. The, uh, Absolutely. You know, coming from my competitive background, like as I said, I, I'd got into that competitive side. I like to compete and challenge and, um, and and get out of the gym, get out of the club bubble and test myself against other people. And that came from, you know, you know, snap that ankle and I was like, I could just curl up and and give up. I was like, no, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna train like I'm going to the Olympics. That's how hard I'm coming back. And I tried to, you know, carry that, um, you know, from then on, basically, like a, a bit of a fire. Um, and so, the team Anaconda thing, as I said, because I didn't have the other coloured belts around me to really push myself to the next level. Uh, I'd, I'd got my purple belt and I'd probably been a purple for about 12 months. And um, I was getting a bit frustrated with, you know, our syllabus and then a few things. Um, how do you, how do you create more advanced, more technical, better grapplers if all you're doing is white belt syllabus and white belt stuff? Um, and it was hard to get that at my club, obviously because um, everyone was a white belt. Everyone else was a white belt. Um, so because we were part of the Will Machado Association and, and there, was a, there was a couple of schools in the Hunter, there was one at Singleton still, there was one at Warners Bay, one at Morissette. Um, so what I, I got onto all the guys who I knew, because you know, I used to train at those places, so I knew all those guys, and I sort of said, look, this is what I want to do. I want to um, start competing. Um, and I want to train to compete. So we can't just go in competitions. You're going to get murdered. So what we need to do is train like the people that comp- compete do, which is a higher level than just a normal class. If we train like that, um, you know, to, to improve, you've got to train like the best person in the class. If you do that, everyone improves. If you train at the level of the, the slowest person, the less technical person, no one improves. So how do you get that intensity and higher level of training without leaving new people behind? So I basically put it out there to the groups that um, I'm going to put on a free class every Saturday and we can rotate it around the clubs and we'll have a, a competition class. So we're, we're, we're training specifically for competition. So it's not self-defense stuff. It's, this is purely comp, sport, jiu-jitsu. 
um, I'll run the first session. We're going to have, uh, I want everyone to turn up with an exercise book. I want you to think about your game plan. I want an upper level game plan. The takedown, the guard pass, the position you're going to get to to, to win the match and, and how you're going to win submission. So high level four step game plan. Um, I want you to already work that out based on where you're getting to and what your strengths are. And we're going to train together every Saturday morning at a higher level. So be prepared to, you know, heaps of more rolls, um, longer rounds, more intensity, really trying to actually win and dominate the, the role. Uh, we had the first session at, um, at my, at our place at Warnervale. I think there was about seven people turned up. Um, so we did that first session and then, I think it was two weeks later, we had the second one in Newcastle at one of the, one of the schools there, um, one of our other Machado schools. And it was only me and the coach turned up. So, because it also, it wasn't just me that was expressing frustration at, at you know, blues and, and especially or purples. How do we get better if we're not training harder and faster? And you know what I mean? So I had other people like that in my ear saying, hey, we need to do something, you know, we... We're not all, we need to get together. We're not getting better, blah, blah, blah. So it's pretty disappointing when I took a free session to that club for these people that have been saying they need, need stuff um, to not even turn up. And uh, so when we did the first session, I basically said, I created the Facebook group and we started, you know, um, communicating through that. It was, it was called Team Anaconda. And it was the Will Machado, Newcastle and Central Coast competition team. And as I said, it lasted two weeks. And I just went, I'm not. Because I was a bit selfish of me because I wanted to improve. I wanted to get better. And I thought the only way to get better is by getting the best people in our clubs together regularly to do that so I can get better, so I can roll with better people. And then they kind of, no, they did pick it up. So, mm. I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to have to look after myself now. Um, so, so I started, so started no training Elvises. Yeah. Um, training black belts and stuff down there. Um, and I was really interested at no gi at the time. Like I was just, I was into one of those stages where I was, just, I just want to do no gi. So I rang up Frank Barker at 10th planet Melbourne and I'm like, Hey Frank, I just want to do no gi. Um, if you've got a school in Sydney or somewhere I can start training at. And he said, Oh no, there isn't. Um, he said, I've got a, I've got a guy in Newcastle, Justin Murray, brotherhood training center at Charlestown. He, he's, learning the 10th planet stuff you know he's um he's learning the system you go and train with him and we'll go from there so uh i started going to brotherhood every tuesday night doing the no gi class there um i did that for about 10 months and uh i got an email there one day sort of telling me that if it's not a machado club don't train there um so i sort of had a bit of a falling out with my old coach. So um, at that stage, I contacted Elvis and said, I'm prepared to, to come under you full time. Can we have that chat? And he came up uh, a couple of weeks later, we did a seminar and, and he met the guys and I think you were there for that. I'm not sure. I was upstairs at the YMCA. Yep. I was there for that one for sure. So yeah, that was from then on. Yeah. We basically hooked up with him straight away and, We've been with him ever since. Yeah, so that, that's basically where the team Anaconda came from. Yeah, right. And, um, and I, what I wanted was that style, that type of training, that thought process of 
every person has an individualized game plan, like individual coaching, rather than walking into a class, spitting out five techniques and walking out again. I wanted to not be an instructor. I wanted to be a coach. Yeah. I wanted, yeah, right. I wanted to personally coach. And people might say, oh, yeah, that's all right when there's only six people. What if there's 40 people? Well, me as a coach, I said, it's my job to make you a blue belt after X amount of time. All right. So if you start training with me and then you're two and a half years in and, you have, and, and you're not blue belt ready, that's my fault. So it's up to me to make you a blue belt in a certain period of time. If, if you're not ready for that, that's my fault. So I take that personally where every single person, I know where they're at, what they're working on, where their strengths and weaknesses are. And that was the, the competition team coach philosophy that I wanted to bring in for everyone. And from then on, that was the philosophy with Team Anaconda. And that's why we kind of, we pretty much skew towards sports jiu-jitsu. We're, we're very heavy on the sports side. Um, obviously we, we do self-defense and stuff, especially for new people and the kids is very high on self-defense, but for adults, um, yeah, it's, we're pretty high on, I guess the sport, sport side of it. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's great. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll finish up with this and we'll go with, we've, we've talked all about the history and where, where we've come from. What is, what does the future hold? Like what's mm. kind of the goals going forward? I know, first of all, we've got to get through, the situation at hand, but um, yep. what's the what's what's the what's the future hold for Team Anaconda? Where are we going? What what's the next thought? What's what's the next thing? Well, it's been a pretty tough week. Yeah, I bet it has. I bet it has. <laughs> Mental health wise, that's right. You know, um, as you said, to to grow something, so we're almost at the seven year mark for Team Anaconda for something that I've. You know, worked for you got me yeah i can still hear you chris keep talking yeah there you go keep going um so yeah what was i saying you're just saying we're at the seven year mark at the moment yeah sorry that's not so for seven years to as i said to train three four nights a week five days you know saturdays as I said, in the grind, just getting smashed every night and, and doing that to build up to, to where we sort of were three weeks ago. Um, and then to sort of have that closed um, when I, I felt like we had so much momentum, especially after you know the, the couple of years we've had. It's been a tough couple of years. Mm. Um, so, yes. This week's been pretty tough. Um, I guess I've had my head down all week. Like we, we've sort of gone to online as, as most gyms have, you know, um, providing some online content, trying to keep everyone um, engaged and, and some sort of motivation. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't until this afternoon, I guess I come home and I was, it's only been a week. It's crazy. Like I feel like I haven't done, haven't rolled for three months. Hmm. Uh, come home this afternoon and I just absolutely smashed myself with the weights and um, yeah, it's picked me up like I feel feel really good after that and I thought well I'm not going to curl up after everything that's happened like I guess I need goals you know what I mean 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I need some, I need something to aim at. And um, so, yeah, I've just decided, you know, all I can do is however long we're closed for and, and when we get back, I'm just going to be jacked as. That's the, that's the plan. Absolutely. Match myself with weights and um, come back a monster. How's the uh, carnival diet going? Still going on that? Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, my uh, my spiritual leader, um, Joe Rogan, sort of got me <laughs> onto that. Yeah, it's worked well for you, though. It's got some good results. I know you dropped yeah. quite a few kilograms doing it. And, uh, yeah, so... Elvis has, Elvis has been doing that. He's been doing forms of keto and, and carnival for a fair few years. So getting um, some input from him, you know, just all these people that used to go out and eat are all of a sudden taking all the meat out of the aisles. So um, <laughs> yeah. I've had to add some other stuff <laughs> so we don't run out of meat. But, um, yeah, it was carnivore is... It was interesting. It started off as a 33-day experiment and it blew out to two months so I could make 80 kilos for a competition that got cancelled three days before. Yeah. But, yeah, I've I've never felt fitter and in a better shape um, in my life, so it's interesting. I'm the same as you. Like, we're in the fourth strike club, Mike. How frustrating. Um, Mate, you especially. You being fourth strike brown, I'm like, don't get me wrong, I'm... I'm taking the chance to look over the syllabus and try and learn as much of it as I can. I'm fourth stripe blue for anyone who does, but fourth stripe brown on that, not obviously not the last step, but you know, that big step is, oh, that's, but we'll get back. Look, I've got no doubt. I've, I've got no doubt that we'll get back. Um, it's been a journey so far with a lot of ups and downs as we've, as we've gone along. And um, I've, I've got no doubt that we're going to come out and however we come out, we're going to keep getting stronger from there. Like I, I know it's changed my life, and the more that I'm rolling, the better I feel. Like I've, yeah. I've had my own issues, but um, yeah, I know yeah, it's a huge mental health. Always, so especially for men, like I go on these sort of rants, but um, you know, for, for thousands of years, men have come together in groups to to be competitive. Like if you speared a saber-toothed tiger and, and your family ate you know and i didn't then you know so, so we'd be we'd be hunting together and we'd have that competitive thing um we'd practice war arts together in case the tribe over the hill run over and you know killed us and took our women and children so my feeling is you know for thousands of years men have come together um to spend time together um to shit talk and joke and um, do things of a competitive physical nature and I just think um, jiu-jitsu is, is you know so closely related to what we've evolved with in that in that sense um, you just you, you notice it when it's not there if only a week you know absolutely absolutely yeah it's it's mate I'll, I'll be honest I've been sitting at a desk a little bit too much this week with getting a couple of fitness workouts in and stuff and I'm just like oh I need to be need to be rolling I need to be doing something because it's it, it it really you get so used to doing it and I was I was thinking I've got all this time but it's because I've been spending four nights doing jiu-jitsu a week and all this there's all this time and I'm like I don't know I don't I don't want the time I'd rather be back at jiu-jitsu but uh <laughs> But we'll get there, mate. I've got no doubt. It's a it's a strange time for the whole world at the moment. But um, 
thanks for coming on and, and telling us the team anaconda story and, and your own as well. Like it's, it's been really insightful for me and um, I'm sure, I'm sure plenty of others will love to hear the story. Yeah, no problem. It's, um, we're only just getting started though. That's what we keep saying. Though. That's it. That's it. I love it. All right, mate. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to leave it there. We've gone for actually well over what I, I wasn't even sure if we had this long because, um, I thought the uh, the Zoom connection was going to cut out on me after 40 minutes, but I think that's only if you've got more than one person speaking. But uh, right. so we've gone over an hour comfortably, and um, yeah. I've really appreciated it. It's, uh, it's really good to to learn a lot of that. Some of the uh, there's quite a bit of the, that stuff there that I wasn't actually aware of. So it's actually pretty pretty makes you pretty inspired to want to get back on the mats. Unfortunately, we yeah. we'll just do that as soon as we can and. In the meantime, we'll just we'll stick with the online and doing whatever we can to move forward. But uh, thank you again, mate. I, I it is much appreciated. So, guys, just thanking Chris Bowles. Come and I hope you really enjoyed his story. I certainly did. But until next time, this has been the Project One podcast. See you later.